look at my wife and pronounced, it looks like you married up, son. Then he asked my wife if she was interested in enlisting in the army, and she said, only if you have Pilates. There are also plenty of stories about those short people who share your house and want stuff. Kids, followed by chapters on mature topics and troubleshooting for tricky times when the warning light on your dashboard of love is flashing. Finally, a few wise words on getting to the happily ever after part. This thorough manual covers everything from honeymoon to last rites. The stories in this audiobook are true. They involved either me or one of my soon-to-be ex-friends. Now, because I work on a daily live TV show, some of my friends are really famous people from the worlds of entertainment, politics, and business. A series of these celebrities confessed side-splitting marriage stories, each a potential National Enquirer headline. When I asked for permission to print them in this audiobook in one way or another, most made it clear something like, you can't use my name, because in the words of one luminary, my fans would think I'm a nincompoop. Many bold-faced names were reluctant to spill their glamorous guts because the last thing they need is to be heckled on the next red carpet. Hey! Famous person, your wife says you hate to pull over on long road trips and you pee into a Gatorade bottle? Gag! Get to the back of the gift bag line! So, to protect their lucrative show business careers, I am not using most of their names. So I will neither confirm nor deny whether the story about the can of Pam cooking spray and the rubber wedding dress is about Brian Kilmeade. I hope you enjoy the Mr. and Mrs. Happy Handbook. If you're the one person who doesn't, I bet your spouse does. And that's the problem with you two. Look, nobody has the perfect marriage because perfect is impossible. The best you can hope for is a happy marriage. This audiobook is a collection of my eyewitness reportage from 25 years as a professional journalist on what makes marriages happy. You happily picked your spouse for a terrific reason. In your heart, you felt like the two of you were a perfect fit. Just like my grandma always told me, every pot will find its lid. Grandma also said stop poking the cat with a stick, but the pot thing seemed like the perfect way to kick off a non-pet audiobook. Throughout history, men have had problems dealing with women. Do I look fat in this fig leaf? Eve asked Adam. Adam, a born kidder, the first, promptly puffed up his cheeks and belted out a deep-throated moo. Eve was puzzled. God hadn't invented cows yet. He was still working out the bugs on the passenger pigeon. She instinctively found his cringeworthy performance offensive. Adam was officially in the doghouse, which was tricky because there were no dogs. God was only in the bees working on birds. The world hasn't changed much in the thousands of years since fig leaves and Adams and Eves, although now there are plenty of Adams and Steves, just not in this book. Today, guys believe they understand girls and vice versa, but really men know as much about women as golden retrievers know about Roth IRAs. There are plenty of differences between the sexes. We are clearly wired differently. It's first noticeable when we're boys and girls. For instance, when my wife presented our daughters with their first brassieres, they were horrified. One daughter refused to wear it, 
and kept hiding it under her bed. Finally, when she wouldn't put it on, the ten-year-old looked her straight in the eye and said in that voice of Peter Pan, Think happy thoughts, Mommy. Meanwhile, my immodest son, when he made the high school baseball team, he came down to the dinner table just wearing his cup. As we mature, the differences multiply. Just look at how our brains work. Men generally have direct, basic questions like, Huh, is this going to make me gassy? Or, are you sure this won't show up as porn on the hotel bill? Women's questions are more complicated and fraught with emotional subterfuge, like this one that is apparently programmed in all women at the factory to test the depth of a man's love and honesty. Do I look fat in these pants? This has nothing to do with pants, and guys don't know where to start. They'll pause half a moment, but during his momentary hesitation, the woman's paranoid gland secretes a trace hormone into her bloodstream that immediately translates... He thinks I'm fat! That leads to sheets of tears, prolonged awkward apologies, and the dreaded but inevitable twice yearly. It is time for men and women to realize that despite his occasional affinity for lavender soap, he is still all man. She should know she is living with a mammal that is just one cultural chromosome away from being a coyote. He doesn't get the charm of children's beauty pageants, tiny dogs in designer footwear, or a purse that costs more than the average daily bank balance. Rather than truly try to understand each other, they invariably smile with gritted teeth and pretend they didn't hear the latest dumb thing their spouse just blurted out. Both sexes need to stop making the same mistakes and move on. Insanity, the old expression goes, is doing the same thing and expecting different results. When your spouse asks, Do I look fat in these pants or dress or fig leaf? There is but one simple answer that will lead to a long and happy marriage. Simply say, No habla inglés. Translation, I don't speak English. By the time she translates and realizes that she's now mad at you for not answering her question, you're off the hook. She has forgotten about her tight pants. My date with destiny was October 27, 1985. I was sitting with my sister Lisa at the bar of Stetson's, which is a Tex-Mex joint in Washington, D.C., we were watching our team, the Kansas City Royals, clinch the seventh game of the World Series. As the MVP was being interviewed by a cute blonde dugout reporter, I mentioned to my sister that the sports girl on TV right there had just started working in my building. She's cute, my sister said. Why don't you ask her out? That girl? She's too fabulous for me, I said. Actually, she was too fabulous for everybody. She was a Ford model and the first woman on ESPN to have her own magazine show. She'd never met a double black diamond she couldn't master, and she dated or was pals with six of the ten men listed that year in People Magazine's first Sexiest Man Alive poll. On top of that, she was painfully beautiful. Yeah, you're right, my sister said. You're low tide in the gene pool compared to her. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you know I moved away from home. A week later, I saw Miss Too Fabulous for Me in the NBC commissary. 
She had on her tray an oozing cheeseburger, a supersized order of French fries, a salad, a cookie, and a diet Coke. For a size six, she ate like a teamster. It's hard to try to make small talk with a cute girl when she's in line, sandwiched between Roger Mudd and Connie Chung, so I didn't. I just stood quietly in line as if I were idling in the drive-up lane at Wendy's. And she disappeared out the door. Poof. As I was over at the fork, spoon, knife station, she popped back in and quickly grabbed two packets of salt, which at the time were still free at NBC. Of course, that was pre-budget cuts. Suddenly, I was walking down the hall with her, toward our desks, and I knew I should say something. But what? A good pickup line would have been, I only have three months to live. Kiss me. Instead, I asked, uh, what's that stuff on your fries? Plasma? Pitiful. But it engaged her, and she cracked an icy smile and responded, I'd call it ketchup. As a doctor's office reader of the magazine Cosmopolitan, I know girls love compliments, so I quickly followed up with, you know, you did a great job at the World Series. Thanks, she said. I'm from Kansas, I continued. I'd love the Royals. That's nice, she said. No doubt about it, the lame-o-meter indicator was peaking until she finally joined the conversation. My boss says, you're a womanizer, she said in that same tone that Marsha Clark used to grill Cato Kalin. Really? I said, stunned. She continued, you've dated every woman at NBC and you've been seen lurking over at CBS. That is not true, I said. In fact, it was ABC. She turned a corner, and poof, she vanished again. Doomed? Not so fast. After a month of giving me weird mercy glances in the hall, we found ourselves as junior...